The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Soccer fans all over the world. It is time. It is time for another strong session of Into the Net FC. So, sit back, relax, and get ready for a wild ride where you will hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The intensity on the pitch is about to go down. And here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Bear of Texas, and I am proud to start the inaugural episode of Into the Net FC. My guest today is a good friend, he's a mentor, and he's a very unique, knowledgeable in soccer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome my good friend, Steve Adams, all the way from Los Angeles, California. What's up, Steve? Hey, greetings from my back patio here in L.A., where it is a nice, balmy 94 degrees, but uh, at least it's not as humid as back in the Midwest, so uh, I'm doing great. Well, you know, we want to talk about humidity. I mean, here in Texas, the humidity is killing me, but, you know, that's Texas. It's hot weather. I should expect it, but I can, I can never stop complaining about it. It could be worse. You could be in Houston. Absolutely, and honestly, and you know, in uh, regards of soccer talk, it could be worse because Manchester United could have failed today, but I am so proud to say they got the job done, they finished in third place, and that means they are going to the Champions League. It's going to be one less round of playoff for them, so that's, that's kind of a key thing, because the teams that finish first and second, in this case Liverpool and Manchester City, they automatically go to the group stage, so they're set. Um, Man City, or excuse me, um, Chelsea and Man U, you know they're they're going to have to have those play-ins. But I like both of their chances to get through. I mean, they both have pretty well played some pretty decent ball in the last well since coming back from the from the COVID break. So uh, so there'll, there'll be some, there'll be some big names and. Manchester United, they they certainly executed today against uh, Leicester City. I mean, it was a rough game. I mean, I was watching it, and you know, obviously, uh, it was you know the last twenty minutes is where Man U finally you know got on the scoring board. And I was I was I was examining the game. I mean, the first half and everything. I mean, Man U was just you know sloppy play, not doing you know not finishing. It was typical Man U that we've seen all season. And I was like, I mean, a draw is enough. But a draw is not impressive, and that's really not going to spark any momentum. And the fact is, Steve, Manny, who has all that talent, all that very expensive talent, and for them to finish with mediocre performances, it's not only accept, uh, unacceptable, but it's very humiliating. And I'm talking not only from a fan perspective, but even in a sports writing perspective, because, you know, in my case, it doesn't feel good for me to have to write negative stories. It really, it, it really doesn't feel good at all. But the last 20 minutes, they played well, and um, uh, Martial drew uh, the penalty 
that when he got sandwiched, they put it to VAR, and VAR confirmed that you know he was indeed uh, tag team for that foul. Fernandez did a good job on the penalty, sending Schmeichel the wrong way. And then with time running out, Schmeichel gifted Man U one more insurance goal. So, But still, uh, they finished strong, and uh, they'll be playing Champions League along with Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking of Chelsea, and a lot of my Man U followers on Twitter are probably not going to be too pleased to hear, to hear me say this, but, but when it comes to Chelsea... If Olivier Giroud is having a hell of a game, that makes me very happy because, you know, for all these years, I've been a supporter of Giroud dating back to his uh, final years with Arsenal. And, and I've been given a hard time because of it because people are always saying he's overrated, he's not good, he's in over his head, he's just like Paul Pogba. Like, Giroud is 34, but to me, he still looks great. I mean, he still looks like he's got plenty of plenty left in the tank. I mean... As far as his uh, future with France goes, I mean, I'm not sure exactly yet because you know how France is with all those young talents ready to go. But I think Giroud ha- is just, you know, he's still doing great things. And I liked, and I like that he's still doing great things. He, he's played really well since the restart. He's been scoring goals and, you know, it's, it's a gift. And right now he's riding the wave. And, and even at his age and even with the embarrassment of riches of that France has as far as attackers. I mean, I would, I would have to think that Deschamps would, would have to give them serious consideration as far as a spot with the Euro team that'll be for next year. I mean, obviously a lot can play out in about another nine months, but, but Giroud's been fantastic, and Christian Pulisic has just been lights out since uh, since Chelsea restarted play after the COVID break. He scored a fantastic goal against Liverpool and then set up a, a nice one by out-dribbling, I think it was four Liverpool defenders before sending in a pass that got cashed in for a goal. So Pulisic, is, he's, he's doing just great. And he's still young. I mean, he's still only 21, and he's playing first-team football. And I have to think that um, for, for, for Frank Lampard, I got to think that with Pulisic's play the last uh, five weeks, I got to think that he's got to be given serious consideration for starting for Chelsea in the FA Cup that'll be against Arsenal. I mean, honestly, it would be a big mistake for Frank Lampard to not start Christian. And you know, and, and speaking of Christian, I mean, you know, I'm always afraid of mispronouncing his name's uh, last name, so I'm just gonna call him Christian. I'm sure everybody knows who I'm talking about. He's another guy that I really have to, you know, cheer for because you know he supports the national team of the United States. And for those wondering, I mean, yes, I'm a strong supporter of uh, Les Bleus, but I also do support Team USA. And Christian is the future of, of the American national team. So if he's making a strong impact in club play. Then that's good to see. And, and, you know, and it's like I said, I mean, for me, there's two perspectives. There's the fan perspective and the sports writing perspective. And here's something I should point out to you folks is that these two personalities in me, they're fighting. They're constantly fighting over dominance. Like they want control of me. But personally, me, I don't let e- either of them control it. I mean, I just basically, you know, I act as a fan when I, when I can. But when it's time to be, you know, objective and professional, you know, I just do it. But Christian gives me stories to write about. He gives me things to say, and that's what I love to see. And and I think you know well, his his future with Chelsea. I think it's it's going to be even better. I mean, they have to give him more time to start because he is proving his point. He is building himself, so he's climbing up that ladder. So now you got to you got to give him the opportunity so he can only prove himself further. Well, I mean, there's been Americans who have played well in England, but. The Americans who did well, you know, like like Dempsey with Fulham, Donovan, when he did his loan spells with Everton, played decent ball, but no American has really played at a top level with a big club in England. And, you know, Chelsea is most decidedly a very, very big club. And for Pulisic to, to not only be starting you know but he's scoring goals and uh in the game against liverpool he actually came in off the bench 
and provided instant offense for Chelsea. Uh, totally, the, that second half of the Liverpool-Chelsea game was some of the most inter- entertaining ball that I've seen this year. I mean, Chelsea showed unique resiliency because at one point, I believe Liverpool was up 4-1, to one, and then after a short time later, it was 4-3. to three. And then Liverpool got the fifth goal on a counterattack to kind of put it away. But, uh, but again, you know, very, very entertaining game, up and down action, uh, some great goals, um, absolutely fantastic game. I mean, that's what I love so much about the Premier League. I mean, especially you know when you see when you see like the final four spots and you see there's there's two spots available and all these clubs are fighting to secure a spot in the Champions League to finish. Uh, you know, that's why they want to finish in the top four. When you see that heavy competition in those last few games, it's just that it, it's absolutely amazing. And for me, well, again, it's just more stories for me to write. It was high drama today because you had the two Champions League spots that were in the question. Uh, the Europa League spots were up for grabs. And then we already knew going in that Norwich City was going to be going down. But then who between... Uh, Bournemouth, Watford, and Villa, you know, which of those teams, only one of those four teams was going to stay up. And Aston Villa, they were able to get that draw in against Watford. And, and that one had really high drama in that game. Grealish scored a really nice goal for Villa. And then almost as soon as they scored that goal, I don't even think a full minute later, they coughed up the lead and West Ham tied it, and uh, they hung on for the draw, and that was enough. So it'll be Bournemouth is going down, Norwich going down, Watford going down. And that's a very, very expensive proposition for those three clubs uh, as far as with the, the millions of pounds that are at stake from the difference between playing in the Champions League versus playing in the EFL. And then with the Europa League spots on the line, since Leicester was unable to win, they finished fifth. It's still a very, very good result for Brendan Rodgers' team because Leicester is not a big money club. And yeah, they did win um, the the EPL five years ago, but still, it's it, it's still a very, very good thing for them. And then Tottenham... With the draw, they leapfrogged over over Wolves for the sixth spot. So the only way that Wolves are going to be able to play in Europe, um, in the Europa League, since they finished seventh, they've got to hope that Chelsea wins the FA Cup. If Chelsea wins the FA Cup, then Wolves will play Europa League. Otherwise, if Arsenal wins the FA Cup, Arsenal will get a Europa League play-in spot. I mean, there's just always something up for grabs and... That's absolutely amazing. And I want to talk about Manchester United's uh, journey because uh, going back to February 1st, um, this this is when Bruno Fernandes arrived uh, from, I believe, Sporting uh, CP. Sporting Lisbon, that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Man U was, f- I believe, 14 points below Leicester City, who was third place at the time. And there was just no chance. I mean, the team was in complete disarray. I mean, there was... Nothing positive on the team. I mean, there was injuries, there was frustration, there was no focus. I mean, Manchester United really wasn't a team at all. I mean, they, it's not only they were going anywhere, they didn't even know where to go. They were just standing there in the dark, looking absolutely lost, but just, you know, simply wanting to give up. I mean, they were coming up short against these very weak clubs, you know, just, you know, missing chance after chance after chance. So when Bruno Fernandes arrives and he starts, you know, helping boost up the attack, and then, you know, Man U starts uh, scoring goals, starts doing some good things. I was like, okay, now there's probably a chance. There's no question in my mind that Fernandez down the stretch was probably Manchester United's most valuable player by far. I mean, not too unlike uh, another player that Man U got from Sporting Lisbon many years ago, one Christian Ronaldo. I don't know if I would dare say that Fernandez will have nearly the career or the long-term impact that Cristiano Ronaldo has had, but Fernandez is a heck of a player, and Portugal just keeps cranking out, you know, really, really good talent. So, kudos, kudos to Fernandez for having such a good 
season with Man U after making the transfers from Sporting. I mean, it was unbelievable. And what makes me so excited about uh, Bruno Fernandez is that he, I mean, his presence on the team, his dominance, is very likely to persuade. I mean, I don't know if it has already, but it, it may have already pr- persuaded Paul Pogba to not want to leave Old Trafford. I mean, at this point, I don't think he will anytime soon because I think by now, if he was going to go to Real Madrid, I think it would have happened already. And there's been no talks about it. It's been quiet for a while. So I think as far as Pogba going to, to uh, Real Madrid, that's the trail has gone cold. So I think it's safe to say that uh, Pogba is going to stay at Old Trafford. And it's good because I think he and Bruno Fernandez have great potential of forming one of the most unique midfielding dynamic duos in the history of Premier League football. So I'm excited to see these two because these two are still young. They still have much ahead of them. They're both talented. So I think they're going to do great things together. Yeah. I mean, the way things are starting to shape up, I think that this upcoming EPL season is going to be, you know, very, very wide open. You know, it's going to be very, very difficult for Liverpool to defend its crown. I mean, Man City, even with some of the players that they're going to be losing, like like Silva, who's just an incredible talent, you know, Man City is still a very loaded team. Man U is improving. I think, I think Arsenal is improving too. Tottenham, I think, if they can get healthy, you know, they can certainly be considered in the mix. Chelsea, I think, is the team that, going in... I think I think Chelsea and Liverpool are probably my my top two to beat. Chelsea and Liverpool obviously have amazing talent. I mean, L- Liverpool not only has the talent, but they have you know a great manager in uh, Jurgen Klopp. They're just a good team. I mean, un- unfortunately, I mean their uh, elimination of the Champions League kind of makes them look bad. But overall, it seems that as far as Premier League play g- goes. Liverpool still has many good years ahead of them, so I think Liverpool might be the kings of the Premier League for a few years to come. But at the same time, it would not surprise me if Chelsea made many threats to dethrone them because Chelsea is climbing up as well. I mean, with Christian, you know, only getting started, you know, Chris, you know, Christian could be starting a strong era at Stamford Bridge. Well, and plus some of the other some of the other talent that Chelsea has already penned to come aboard. So I think, I think Chelsea, they, they have kind of an embarrassment of, of riches that are going to be coming their way. I mean, that, that's just so much, you know, so much what, what I love about the premier league. And, you know, speaking of Manchester United, um, we have to give credit to, I hope I pronounce his name, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I mean, mm-hmm. he's really, you know, he, he's played a huge role. I mean, he, you know, he's managing and he's kind of, you know, pitting these formations together and I like how he's putting Bruno Fernandez in that spot, and he's you know putting Anthony Martial as well. And uh, Solskjaer is really putting this habit of you know putting the players in the right spots. I mean, of course, from time to time he'll make a mistake, but you know the, the truth is everybody makes mistakes. I mean, there's no such thing as a manager who never makes mistakes. I mean, Sir Alex Ferguson made mistakes as well, but Solskjaer. I mean, what really amazes me. I mean, and this is this this doesn't surprise me. I always explain to people he used to play for Manchester United. When you have a manager that used to play for this club, he has that mentality. Like he knows what it takes to win it all. I mean, he he scored the game-winning goal in the 1999 Champions League final. So Solskjaer has that knowledge and mentality. Like he knows how to build a team. I mean, obviously he's it's not he's not going to build a dominant team immediately. I mean, it, it takes time. But Solskjaer is you know it's a roller of a coaster thing. I mean, he's going one direction and then the other. He's making mistakes, but. That's just part of the process. That's part of the building process. I mean, I'm sure Jurgen Klopp went through the same thing. Well, I mean, Klopp was already a pretty recognized entity as a coach uh, when he was with Dortmund. I mean, Klopp, really, really good with young players, with developing players, which Dortmund has become a really, really good club to, to send your young players. I mean, you know, he, Pulisic played for him at at Dortmund um so I mean he's very much very much a a a known quantity um and yeah he's he had to kind of get over his own hump 
uh, you know, there was the knock on him that, you know, Klopp could not win finals. And then uh, he finally got that 800-pound gorilla off his back last year when uh, Liverpool won the Champions League against Tottenham. But, you know, Liverpool had just simply a fantastic season, and he's a player's coach, Klopp is, and his, his players would clearly go through the wall for him. It'll be interesting to see what moves, if any, Klopp makes. I mean, I think the two names that are sounding like they're for sure going to be leaving Anfield, it looks like Adam Lallana is going to be going. I think I had heard that he was going to be going to Brighton, and Shakiri who didn't get a whole lot of playing time this year, who I think is still a very good player. I think, unfortunately, Shakiri this season just had a really, really hard time cracking that lineup. So I think those two will go, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what moves, if any, uh, that Liverpool makes. The element of surprise you know, strikes again because anything Liverpool does, and, you know, they do something amazing, it's going to surprise us. And then, you know, Liverpool is going to do what they do best, and, and I still, I still see this argument today on Twitter that people were still criticizing Liverpool for paying so much money for uh, uh, Virgil Van Dijk, and you know, and I kind of, and, and I don't really get in those arguments because I don't, you know, I don't want to, because I'm the kind of guy to avoid the drama. I mean, even if I was an arrogant fan, I'd, I would have no room to talk because Manchester United paid a whole lot of money for Harry Maguire, and Harry Maguire has really kind of, you know, caused a little bit of frustration. I mean, he's a good player, but I think Harry Maguire has built, has built a bit of a reputation of being unpredictable because you don't know if he's going to have a good game or a bad game. You just don't know what he's going to do. That, that's that's my definition of somebody or a, a player or a team that's completely unpredictable because in an article that I'm writing right now about Manchester United accomplishing their mission is that throughout the season, early part of the season before the, before the COVID break, Man U would lose games that they're supposed to win. They would win games that they're supposed to lose. And then I would explain that's the definition of a very unpredictable team. Like, you can't make a prediction. And you will make a prediction, but more often than not, your prediction will not be true. Well, clearly they, clearly Liverpool did not overpay for Van Dyke, And having a really good central defender to sort of quarterback your defense is priceless. I mean... You know, for you know, during the the '90s when um, Manchester United they were winning EPL titles, but they were falling short in Europe. You know, part of what got Manchester United over the hump to win a Champions League was when they got another Dutch defender, a Dutch central defender, Jaap Stam, and Jaap Stam was a huge difference, I think, in getting that team over the line so that they can win a Champions League title. It's more than coincidence that after getting Van Dyke, Liverpool's made it to two Champions League finals, won a Champions League final, and then he was just absolutely fantastic for Liverpool this year. So if it's like anything else. If the guy performs, then it's money well spent. Exactly. That's why I think it's ridiculous for some people to say that Liverpool overpaid. I mean... So, I mean, you know, you know how it is. So, you know, they're, they're those fans that they just hate Liverpool. They want to tear them down, even though you know the facts, you know, say otherwise. But, but to say that Virgil Van Dyke, you know, they overpaid him or whatever. I mean, that's a mistake because Van Dyke has really provided much for the team, and he's still got a lot to do, and he's still got a lot to prove. So, I think, I think yeah. the Virgil Van Dyke investment turned out to be great. I mean, I mean, he just may be the best defender in Europe right now. Well, in my opinion, I think he should have won the Ballon d'Or last year. He had that type of season, just simply transcendent season for Liverpool last year. It's it's very very tough for a defender to to get that type of award. Uh, almost always, those awards are going to go to scorers, midfielders, that type of thing. But and I mean, Van Dijk even scored a. a goal today for Liverpool. He scored a nice one off a header. So anyway, but that's that thing though. If you've got a really, really good central defender, that was part of what helped was a pretty good building block for Manchester City with the success that they had, you know, starting in like 2012. They had the the Belgian, Vincent Company. He was a fantastic presence in the middle of that defense too. So you, you cannot overestimate having 
that type of really, really top-class defender on your team. Well said. The structure of, of, of the whole Premier League, I mean, let me ask you, are you amazed at how Chelsea, uh, how, excuse me, how Manchester United was able to climb back up and finish third? Actually, the the two teams that sort of claw, clawed their way back into being relevant again, I think Man U and then their their former coach, Jose Mourinho, was let go at Man U and then after he took over at Tottenham because both, uh, at the time all this stuff went down, neither Man U or Tottenham was sitting in a European spot. You know, they were like down in like eighth, ninth position roughly at the time. So I a little surprised, yeah, but but again, you know, the the moves that they made in the end, I think Fernandez just they they hit the jackpot getting that move to get Fernandez from from Sporting Lisbon. And then Tottenham, you know, somehow the special one was able to use glue and everything else because they had to get over long-term injuries to Harry Kane and some of their other some of their other players were injured and you know I think actually as much as Mourinho could kind of get on my nerves at times I think that this was actually one of his better managerial jobs because he had to get by with less he definitely had less of a team with Tottenham in terms of talent than what he had at Man- Manchester United that team at Manchester United Mourinho had lost the locker room and the players had stopped playing for him I mean, uh, they didn't I, like I, him. It came to the point they just did not like him. They could not stand it was, him. It was it was open rebellion, and you know sometimes sometimes that just happens with a coach. You know sometimes a managerial style that might work for a little bit, but uh, I think I think after a little while the players sort of had enough of that, and they just they just simply particularly Pogba particularly stopped playing for Mourinho. I mean, I'm not the only one who said this, but a lot of people were saying that Pogba under Mourinho was treated like a political prisoner. I mean, I can't say, I can't confirm it because, you know, I'm not there. These are, these are probably just exaggerations or whatnot. It's just what's, cl- what's really clear and obvious is that Pogba and, and Mourinho did not see eye to eye. And it was, it was not likely to change. Like, these two were in a relationship that was broken beyond repair. There was probably no chance of reconciliation anytime soon. So, for the better and the future of the club, they had to get rid of Mourinho. And yeah. and and you know, man, and you know, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I hope I'm pronounce, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. You know, he came in and he was previously uh, look. He was the manager at a. I think it's called Mold. It's a it's a club in Norway, and then. Solskjaer comes in and he has this huge assignment. I mean, he started off strong, but unfortunately, Manu would collapse. I mean, they would lose that four nothing loss to Everton, kind of like sealed their deal. But and there was times this year. I mean, I thought Solskjaer was going to be sacked. I mean, a lot of fans and you know a lot of supporters were calling for him to be sacked. But I would try to explain to them it would be a horrible and a huge mistake to sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because look. It's like I said, he's building a team. When you build a team, there's ups and there's downs. It's part of the process. And he hasn't been here long enough, so it's not fair to fire him immediately. You've got to give him a fair amount of time. And now the fa- and how Manu wins a last chance game, I think that shows tremendous progress. So I think o- Ole Gunnar Solskjaer deserves praise. Because he- well, I also, think, I also think the front office at Manchester United deserves some praise too because... In the last week or so, David Moyes, who some people may recall, he was the the poor guy that had to take over at Manchester United after Sir Alex Ferguson called it a career. And rule number one for a coach, never, ever take the job after a legend leaves. Because Moyes had pretty much said, I think it was about a week ago, he said that, well, you know, Manchester United management gave Solskjaer a much longer leash than they gave me. And, you know, if you look at the numbers, when Moyes was coaching at Man U, you know, it's it's tough to argue with. You know, I don't, I don't totally think that it's whining by the Scotsman. You know, I do think that 
Boya's got a pretty quick hook over there. But I think the fact, too, that, you know, Solskjaer, his playing career was with Manchester United. He scored the the overtime winner, or excuse me, the stoppage time winner against Bayern Munich to win the Champions League title in 99. So, I mean, he's always going to be a part of Man U's history. So I think by by virtue of the fact that you know, he scores this very iconic goal as a Manchester United player. Yeah, I think I think Man U management has definitely given him a little bit of a longer of a leash. And I think, you know, he's clearly earned, you know, being allowed to coach another day over at Old Trafford. Exactly. And, and as I mentioned earlier, the fact that, you know, he, he was a player, he achieved a lot as a player, he has that mentality. Like, he knows what it takes to build and eventually to succeed. Just like Didier Deschamps with France, he captained the team to a World Cup as a player, so I would tell people that he knows what it takes to win it as a, as a manager. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so, I mean, it, playing is not the same as managing, but still, like, you know the environment. You know the play style of Manchester United. You're familiar with it. So you can build formations and schemes based on your playing days and put it all together. Of course, you got to make changes because the play style is much different than it, it's much different today than it was back then. I mean, people don't really understand how that works, but soccer tactics they always change. Like because when you see different players, because players are always talented in a different way, and you got to build these tactics based on their talent and their playing style and ability. That's why the tactics constantly change. And Solskjaer did a good job at that. And you know, and I'm looking at the uh, the stats. You know, Manchester United, you know, scoring 66 goals. You know, a plus 30. I, th- I think it's the, the plus 30 goal differential, finishing with 66 points. And you know, it, and it allows them to finish right above Chelsea. I mean, it was not an easy journey for me for Man U. I mean, all the odds stacked against them. I mean, I'll admit I I had my, my doubts at time, and I'm meaning my words, but I'm proud of that. But overall, I mean. Man, you just said, no, no more excuses. There's still a chance. We have to take it. We want to go back to the Champions League, and we're going to do it. We spent money on a player named Fernandez. It's time for us to make things right. And they, they did just that against Leicester City. Of course, it was not an easy game. But at the end of the day, what really matters is they got it done. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, this is me talking in the sports brand perspective because you know the fan perspective of me, of me, I'm still criticizing Man U because you know they would put up these poor performances against weaker teams, like the one to one draw against uh, West Ham United, the two to two draw at home against Southampton. But now, as a sports writing perspective, I say, look, that doesn't matter anymore because they won the game that mattered. And if you saw me post on the on our Facebook on the Facebook group, uh, Stoppage Time FC, I believe I. Either, either either I said it to Rod or it was probably Anthony. I, I said that it's very likely to come down to the game between Le- Leicester City, and it seems that my prediction was true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no question. So, so folks, that wraps up the Premier League, and congratulations to, I mean, Liverpool, you know, hoisted the trophy, I think, a couple of days ago, so congratulations to them. I'm so happy as a Man U fan for them to finish third. They're in the Champions League, and the future is bright for them. Now, now I'm going to switch over, we're going to switch over to the Champions League, but before we get too deep into that, I want to talk a little bit about Paris Saint-Germain, but more specifically, Steve, we need to talk about Kylian Mbappe, because something horrible happened to him. Well, he suffered a very severe ankle sprain in the French Cup final against Saint-Étienne on Friday, so not surprisingly, Paris Saint-Germain, they beat a 10-man Saint-Étienne on a goal from Neymar. But, but I think they almost would have rather have forfeited the trophy to have had a healthy Mbappe to go into the Champions League quarterfinals against Atlanta because it's a pretty safe bet. I think that if they can make it towards the semis and the finals, I think Mbappe might be able to play for PSG. But clearly, that's a big tool in PSG's arsenal that's going to be missing against the high-scoring Italian. It is, and... And as hard for me as it is to say this, if uh, Mbappe by any chance is cleared to play before their uh, quarterfinals clash against Atalanta, it would be in the best interest of PSG and Mbappe if he does not play. Because in soccer, ankle injuries 
are very fearsome. Like, it's not only the injuries themselves that scare us, Steve. It's also the high chance of aggravations. I mean, the risk of ever getting those injuries is even scarier. And fortunately, um, the report says it's just a sprain. There is no ligament damage. They did say he's going to he's gonna undergo uh, further evaluations, which is good because you always want to double-check the injuries. But I think, you know, honestly, they probably, I mean, I could be wrong, but if there really was something serious, maybe they would have spotted it immediately, and maybe things would have been worse, but but we'll see. Uh, they said, I think, on Tuesday is when the results are supposed to come out, so we'll just have to wait. But still, if, if it's just a sprain, if he's feeling great, if he's able to put weight on it, he's able to run, he's able to do what he does best. It's still in the best interest of both. Excuse me, the boat is in the best interest for both Mbappe and Paris Saint-Germain to just have him sit out for to at least the semifinals because you know you don't want to take that risk. It's for safety reasons. I think PSG has enough in their arsenal. Right, I think they they should be able to beat Atlanta, but. Of the quarterfinal series, is, this one is actually, to me, it's one of the most intriguing because it's it's kind of a pick em. You know, PSG has wanted to, you know, get over the next hump. And, you know, there's no question that the ownership group that has PSG, they very, very much would like to win the Champions League because for the Parisians, one of the things that still kind of sticks in their craw a little bit is they've never won the Champions League. The only French team that has ever won the Champions League was Olympic Marseille, and that was back in 1993. So, you know, it's it's been a long time, you know, since a French team has made a really deep run. Well, five years ago, Mbappe, when he was with Monaco, they made a deep run to the semifinals with that really, really good Monaco team. But, but still, PSG, you know, they haven't made it to the semis of the Champions League. They have a really good shot this year. They do, and, and I wrote an article explaining what it takes, and it says, it's really simple. I mean, PSG, they have the talent. They've had the talent for a few years now, but what they have seriously lacked is mentality and concentration, and their biggest weakness, Steve, is the fact that pressure, when they're under pressure, they crumble under it. In other words, pressure always wins against PSG. So this time, PSG should not fear the pressure, because if they don't fear the pressure, the pressure is not going to win. And even PSG, like, really, I mean, they were under pressure against uh, uh, Borussia Dortmund uh, in the round of 16 because they lost the first leg. And then they, they come back and win the second leg 2 nothing at home to, and to allow them to uh, advance uh, 3-2 on aggregate. So I explained that they were already, they were already under pressure. And they got through it that time. So I think they can do it again, except this time, now that they're in the quarterfinals against a hot Atalanta team, not only is the pressure back, but the pressure has slightly intensified. So the question is, can they get it done this time? And I think they can, but overall, it's up to them. Yeah, I I still think, you know, they have a good shot of making the semifinals, and... Uh... The thing, too, that's going to be a little different with this format is there's not, once they get to the quarterfinals, it's not going to be home and away because it's all going to be played on neutral site in Lisbon. So it's going to be just one game, winner take all. And once you get to that point, anything can happen in those matches. So with this current format, you know, you do have a chance where, you know, maybe a surprise team might slip through, like an Atalanta. And the other team that you can't totally rule out either is Lyon. They still have a second leg to get through with Juventus. But going into the second leg against Juventus, Lyon, they, they do have a one-goal lead. Do I think that it'll be enough to beat that really loaded Juventus side? I don't think so. But it if Lyon can somehow hold on and if they can get past Juve, who won their umpteenth uh, Serie A title, they won another Scudetto today, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, just imagine what a story it would be if Lyon somehow, some way, eliminates Juventus. I mean, that would be huge. I mean, that would probably be something bigger than PSG has ever done in Champions League history. I mean... <laughs> I mean, I would honestly explain, if Lyon 
eliminates Juventus, does that make them a potential favorite? I would say, yeah, it should because if they eliminate a, I mean, this is, I mean, Lyon Juventus, Steve. I kind of like to just see this game as a David versus Goliath sort of thing. And if Lyon wins, then they're fearful. I mean, they will cause a lot of fear. I mean, it <laughs> it, it it doesn't happen often, but every now and then, you know, a quote unquote smaller team will catch lightning in a jar and just you know, run the table and play really well. I think of when the special one, when Mourinho, his uh, his Porto team that beat Monaco in the Champions League final, you know, that was that was very much a, a very unfancy team. But that's also quite a while ago when that happened. I mean, it, it, it's amazing how every now and then there's a major surprise. And it's so ironic how it happens, like, at a certain time, like every five years or so in, in that kind of format. So, if Lyon wins, then give them, you know, give them credit. And, you know, that's that. Now now we go to Bayern and Chelsea. I mean, I think that game is pretty much, it's pretty much already, it's it's already said, yeah. You know, I, I I don't see Chelsea, even as well as they've played in the last month and a half, Bayern Munich with some rest with that really loaded team. You know, I, I just don't see, don't see that happening. Look for Byron to make it through on that. Well, the second leg is going to be in Munich, and as I click on, it, let me see what the I believe it's four. It's a four nothing aggregate. Uh, it's been a while, but what whatever it is, I mean, Bayern Munich holds all the cards, and I don't think they're going to let Chelsea ruin their chances on their turf. Uh, and yeah, Bayern Munich is uh, they're loaded. They have that mentality mentality that you know that they've always uh, that we all know about that they've always had. So I think Bayern Munich is going to advance smoothly. I'm going to see if I watch this game because I need to watch a little bit more of uh, Benjamin Pavard's uh, play um, with Bayern Munich. Who knows? Yeah. He, he might score a goal with his golden feet again. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, a team that's, it's a team that's very full. It's very deep. And, you know, it's one of the teams that is very much capable of winning this. Juventus, based on their talent, they've got enough talent to win it. Manchester City. That's a team that you know can certainly can certainly do a do. Pep Guardiola has won this thing before when he was coaching at Barcelona, and you know Man City's been scoring just uh, hatfuls of goals the the last four to five weeks. So you know there's there's certainly a threat as well. I think in the in the one quarterfinal, Atletico versus Leipzig. I think. I think Simeon will park the bus, and I think they'll find a way to. The, they should probably beat the Germans to to get themselves into the semifinals. Oh, and actually, I actually I just got this notification. Paulo Diabala apparently suffered an injury, and his apparently his his appearance in the Champions League second leg second leg against Lyon appears to be doubtful. It's not very good, but you know they're loaded, so. You know, same thing with PSG. They should not let the whole thing affect them. Yeah, like like I said, uh, I just I don't I don't know as far as as far as that goes. And uh, oh, Man City, they will have to finish off that second leg against Real Madrid, and Real Madrid won another Spanish title. And I would not underestimate any team that's coached by Zinedine Zidane would not totally. You know, count them out. Even though they'll be they'll be down a goal. I mean, I'm really looking forward to that match. And and uh, I'm actually looking at it right now. Uh, Bayern Munich has a three nothing uh, lead on aggregate. And uh, Chelsea, Chelsea's not going to overcome that. No, I mean especially because the second leg is in Munich. M- Munich is just you know, I, like I said, they're they're going to seal the deal. I mean, better luck. I mean, Chelsea's in the tournament next year, so all we can say to them is better luck next time. Now, Manchester City versus Real Madrid. Now, man, this is a game. I mean, I, I think, you know, even though it's probably going to be on a day that I work, I'm not going to care. I want to go watch this game because I feel like this game is going to give me a hell of a story to write. And when I have that feeling, Steve, I go watch it because I have to see every minute of it because as I write the story, I put everything together. I do a psychological examination. I put the pieces together to explain what went into this game. So this might be one of my stories where I entitle it Three Takes on Manchester City versus Real Madrid. And I'm sure you, you've read some of these articles, those articles, the kinds that I've written before, haven't you? Right. 
And you've seen how, like, you can tell, like, based on the facts that I put, I examined and I put everything all together. So this situation is, that's the situation, you know, with this match. Now, do I think Real Madrid's going to win? Well, they have a chance, but Manchester City is not willing to let Real Madrid's strength and talent scare them. Because, yes, Real Madrid has momentum. They just won the La Liga title. I mean, they, they, they literally just grabbed it right from Barcelona's nose. <laughs> I mean, kind of funny when you think about it. But, like you just said, you do not want to uh, underestimate a team that is coached by the legendary Zinedine Zidane. But at the same time, Real Madrid does not want to underestimate Manchester City. So that's why I think this well, game can go either way. I'm just going to sit back and see the results. I'm not going to make a prediction. I'm just going to see how things turn out. That's all I can Pep Guardiola is a pretty fair manager himself. So so it's it's a very, very intriguing second leg to be sure. I mean, if, if Real Madrid makes an impact, it won't, be, it won't surprise me if Karim Benzema... You know, plays a, ma- a major role in that come from behind win because Benzema has been on fire lately for Los Blancos. Well, he would be the he he's the MVP for Real, for Real Madrid. I mean, he's just been been lights out. Uh, and then on the other side with Man City, uh, the Belgian Kevin De Bruyne. De Bruyne, in my opinion, he should have been elected Player of the Year in the EPL. For whatever reason, they decided to elect Jordan Henderson. And Jordan Henderson, yes, he was great as as a captain with Liverpool, and Liverpool won the EPL. And Henderson did have a very good season, but but the the numbers that De Bruyne has put up in terms of goals, assists, everything else, uh, you know, I'm still kind of scratching my head at that. I mean, in my in my view. You know, he's not only been Manchester City's MVP of this year, he definitely should have been elected player of the year in the EPL. I mean, De Bruyne's a hell of a player. I mean, he's one of those players that it doesn't matter who you support, there is no point of denying that he's good. I mean, it's just that simple. But, you know, there's always that fan that's going to say, you know, he's not good, he's not good, he's not good. But in my case, I just can't be like that. And now, yeah. now we get to, okay, Barcelona versus Napoli. This was actually kind of a toss-up because, on paper, Barcelona, in terms of you know player for player talent, uh, Barcelona is a much more loaded team than Napoli, and Napoli's been you know sinking fast. Um, they'll play in uh, the Europa League because they they upset Juventus to win the Italian Cup, but uh, boy, Napoli has not been playing well at all in Serie A since the restart. And, uh, but Barcelona, you know, they've been a sinking ship since the restart as well. So it's like, which, you know, who's going to show up? I have a really hard time totally counting out a team that has Messi on it. You know, even one that just seems to have just so much turmoil right now with, with what it seems like going on in, in Barcelona. But that one, that one's kind of a pickup series too. You know, I would probably give a slight edge to Barcelona, but you know, I won't lie too. The the romantic in me going back to the '80s when Maradona was playing with Napoli and winning the Scudetto and a UEFA Cup, I would really love to see Napoli make it through to the semifinals out of that out of that tie. I mean, if they do, if they do make it to the quarterfinals. I mean, I can't imagine the humiliation that's going to devastate Barcelona because uh, just last week I shared on the Facebook page, on the Facebook group page that the Barcelona team that we saw this year is the worst one in over 10 years. I mean, I mean they brought in Antoine Griezmann, and Antoine Griezmann has really struggled. I mean, it's been a bust. It's been a bust of a season for him, which is, you know, super unfortunate for me because, you know, I love Antoine Griezmann, but, you know... I don't know what's going on with uh, Barcelona. I mean, they suffered that a major like upset loss to a, a Spanish club called Osasuna, I believe it was. Yep. And you know, Lionel Messi cannot be happy right now. And the fact that there's no part, there's not a positive vibe within the club. My concern, Steve, is that this is going to affect them mentally. But do I think that Barcelona is going to lose against Napoli? I'm not going to make an official prediction. But 
If Napoli does pull off an upset, in some ways, it may not surprise because Barcelona is in a bit of a disarray. I mean, at this point, they're what I like to say is they're unpredictable. Well, you know, Napoli is getting Barcelona at a really, really good time. I mean, they're kind of gift-wrapped for them at this point. And in Napoli's case, if Barcelona is not in the right state of mind, if they're not prepared, then my advice to Napoli is take advantage of it. Send Barcelona home. I mean, do what you got to do. Yeah, no question. But, you know, that one, like I said, that one's a pick but I give a slight edge to Barcelona just because they're, they're so much more loaded in talent. You know, it's like you said, it's one of those pick 'em games, and and that's what makes it that's that's what makes them so interesting, Steve. Mm-hmm. Well, folks, that's all we've got for this week. Steve, thank you so much for being the get, my first guest on the Into the Net FC segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. Your unique knowledge of soccer, I learned so much from it. That's all I can tell you. Well, I was glad to join you. Hope you have a good rest thing. Try to stay cool out there in BFW. Uh, well, staying cool in the summer, well, that's that's not really something that's quite possible here in the Lone Star State. <laughs> find, find the AC or pool. <laughs> Thank you. I'll do my best. Folks, the next episode will be soon. We will talk about the outcome of the Champions League round of 16, and we will see what goes on in the quarterfinals as well. Expect to hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Steve, once again, I'd like to thank you. We'll see you all next time. Loyal listeners, loyal followers, thank you so much for tuning into Into the Net FC, the Soccer Talk segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. Into the Net FC is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, and YouTube. The Bear of Texas podcast is proudly paired with the Playmakers blog. Check out the website. That is theplaymakersblog.com. One more time, theplaymakersblog.com. Subscribe to the website, check out their shop, and check out all the other podcasts available associated with the Playmakers blog. There's plenty of content for you to listen to, and most importantly, folks, there is plenty more for you to look forward to in the near future. So, please check out the website. Please subscribe to the website. Most importantly, folks, please follow Into the Net FC. There's plenty for you to look forward to. Thank you. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.